0: recording. So hello people today Fanny and Zai interviews I have here my Michael Cernovich. Hello Mike thank you very much for coming.
1: How are you? It's good I'm glad we finally get to talk.
0: (laughs) So I'm very excited for this conversation for those who do not know him um, Mike is author of the book Gorilla Mindset and movie producer of The Hoax Uh, And there is a long path and controversies to talk about uh, the movie and all the (laughs) conversations around. Please tell us a little bit about those productions and all the stir culturally around those conversations.
1: Yeah, we did. um, I always wanted to do a movie and that was good. I did a movie in 2016 that nobody's ever heard of because it wasn't done the way it was supposed to be done, but I did finish it. And I, I had one more in the tank. I felt like I had unresolved potential
0: and hoaxed did it. So we're, we're glad we did hoaxed. There's a lot of very interesting people involved into the movie. People that I'm look, that I look up to and that I wish one day to be talking to. I'm going to just cite some because they are very interesting, uh, people and talk about very important issues. So Stefano Molino, Jordan Peterson, Alex Jones, uh, Gavin McGuinness, Tim Paul, Lauren Southern, Cassie J, and on and on. And a lot of people that you have interviewed in your own podcast on YouTube. So you, uh, I think from all the things I talk on my channel, mainly we would talk about, me and you talk about the free speech and cancel culture, because I think it's something that you have Kind of experienced uh strongly experienced through all this path can you tell us a little bit how did it go
1: i think i lost you for a second you paused on me you i don't know if that oh, was me I'm or sorry
0: you. yeah so, so, so just yeah.
1: repeat that question yeah
0: yeah uh that you have strongly experienced, uh, what we call cancel culture. And how did that go for you? Like, how did they cancel you? How was that on the movie?
1: Oh, I've been canceled multiple times, at least five, I think. And how has it worked out for me? Luckily for me, I wrote a book on mindset. I'm psychologically robust and was able to ride the wave, I guess, so to speak. But it was – I think most people would have been broken for sure. Most people – not even most. We're talking 99.999% of people who went through what I went through would have been broken easily. But I understood um, – because of a life vision, I have purpose. I understood what was going on and why it was happening. So I was I was able to navigate it. And in terms of the hoax casting, I. I, I don't know that will any film will ever have a cast like that again. I know I couldn't do it again. I mean, we had Ryan Holiday, who's on the left. We had Hawk Newsom, who is Black Lives Matter, is on the left. Jordan Peterson, before he became, you know, big-time big, big time superstar or whatever. We we just had a perfect—it was, in a way, blessed by God, where it was the perfect timing. I was the person right in the middle of all these varying networks, and I was able to make it happen. If I try to get that same cast today, not a chance— I mean, we had a better cast than No Safe Spaces, which Adam Carolla did with Dennis Prager, and they're they're both big names. Like no one, no one was able to pull off something like this. And I remember telling the guys, you know, enjoy it, enjoy it, because we'll never be able to pull off a cast like that again.
0: That's true. And you think the the cancel or the the way that it was seen as an independent movie or more not because of being independent. The problem, I don't think it was that I, I, may, I think it's more the narrative because it was like talking about narratives and propaganda. Uh, is that what made like... For example, I wanted to point this out that uh, <clears throat> I found out on Wikipedia in between being an American commentator, social media personality, anti-feminist, MRA, political commentator, excuse me, there is a conspiracy theorist there? Is, is that true? <laughs> well, and that's what I always tell people, how long have you
1: read my stuff, or how much of my stuff have you read? Probably a lot, right? When have I ever talked about men's rights activism? Right? When? And, and that's what that's why we talk about the how narratives get created, is people are trying to create a narrative, but if you read my stuff, you're like, wait a minute, men's rights activists, I don't even understand. And then they try to bring in like racial stuff. It's like, that doesn't work. And then they try to do conspiracy theorists because anything that goes against the mainstream norm, they consider, that's how they, dis- they dismiss it. That term, I don't know if that's, we mentioned that hoax or not, but we should have. That term was traded by the CIA and filtered into the modern lexicon To dismiss any kind of idea that would go against the narrative and that's what they do and that's what we talk about especially in my book hoax which didn't do nearly as well as the movie much to my disappointment because i thought it was better in some ways there they'll frame a narrative about you and then they'll keep repeating it repeating it repeating and repeating it and that's what people think you so a lot of people are like oh Is that Mike Cernovich, the Pizzagate guy? And I was like, I don't know how how many times I have. And it doesn't hurt my feelings. It doesn't make me sad. It doesn't even outrage me that a lot of that's a lie. It's just annoying, right? It's like a tedious nag. It'd be like if everybody said, you wear that blue sweatshirt every day. And I saw that 100 times a day. I would just start to become frustrated, not because I care, not because I don't know it, but because you're being spammed with the same thing over and over again. But it does it does take hold in some minds of people and you have to become comfortable with people believing things about you that are not true. And that's the story of my life.
0: Being attacked or accused of the straw man that the opposition makes of you. I think it is very relatable to a lot of my guests. We, we try to break down you know, as like the bank, those strawmans and say like, we are not this, you know, uh, when you talk about different issues and usually controversial topics. So I think what the hoax and the entire group was talking about and that was so sensitive for the mainstream media was that talking about the in that political scenario, that moment that was... Trump, fake news, Antifa, and all these narratives. And, and it is something very relatable to other people that I talk to that talk about uh, 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 critical studies, social critical studies, infiltrating academic studies and putting this type of filter on people's, in front of people's head, uh, eyes. And then they have this expectation you know, to find. So if it is Mike Cernovich talking about whatever issue if and if it's any way related to race, oh, he's white, so he's racist. It's easy to frame and and to just pick and choose in this narrative. And it's a lot of very relatable to also what is going on right now with Black Lives Matter. And, uh, uh, and I think it's... It's a hot topic. I have seen you very active recently, <laughs> these last days on Twitter. Uh, can you talk a little bit about this, uh, on all these riots versus protests? Yeah. Well,
1: so yeah, you raised a number of points. One is, and this is what I didn't want a Hoax to be, it, it becomes like a conversation amongst people who have been attacked by the media and canceled. And I think a lot of people, including some of my friends, they they're really like bothered by it rattle i think in a way that you have to push past because this and again this goes how the media is like a is a mass mind control device if you know 99 percent of people who know me personally and they read something they're it's just not true they don't even understand the narrative but if you read a lot of media and that includes my contemporaries then they think, well, most of the people think I'm bad because that's in whatever publication. But no, most people actually like me. Now, I my, their approval of me is super high despite the the hate pieces because they don't they don't work as much as they work um, as much as they used to because because there's that lack of public trust. Who it does hurt though is it hurts people. That's why we had Cassie J. In the movie is if you are. And because she was a legitimate filmmaker in terms of like, I'm legitimate, but I don't have people giving me money from Hollywood, right? Nobody in Hollywood is going to fund my project. She had that. But then she went against the narrative just a little bit. Now she's kicked out of Hollywood. That's where people get hurt. There was a guy, for example, he was a writer, a co-executive producer of a show in America, a popular show called Law and Order about the police. And. He posted a picture of himself with a gun and said, looters better stay away from my house. Nothing racial, nothing ra- fired. Why? Because he's racist. Why is he racist? Well, if you oppose the looting, you're racist. Or if you call looting looting, you're racist. And that's how quick it goes and that's how fast you're spit out of the machine. But I'm not in any machine. But if you're, if you're in some kind of machine, then you will get canceled and it'll ruin your life.
0: And even farther than that, now to avoid the racist narrative is also racist.
1: <laughs> right. Yes, the recursiveness <laughs> of yeah. racism.
0: I, I I have been called white supremacist and racist uh, more than a year ago when I started my channel because I point out one crime that happened in Brazil. I'm Brazilian and there was a crime that happened and the paper trader, the victim, they were pretty much... They look like brothers, like siblings, like really close in features and color, and uh, that was something I found out when I went to dig a little bit more after seeing people protesting and a lot of uh, actors and actresses and you know people in mainstream media uh, advocating for like some type of Black Lives Matter. So I went to check the information, how it happened, the reports, how it happened the death, the Autopsy, and when I saw the picture of the two guys, I had to publicly speak against the racist narrative. Oh, because people were talking about the guy that who killed was working in a big company and was just a security guard in a big company. They were so they were portraying like a, this big company killed this poor client that had a gun that happened to have a gun in the store. So the case was like just a bad work of a security guard he figured out that someone had a gun asked to give away he didn't they fought and he strangled him to death kind of not similar not similar because in the case of floyd the guy was already handcuffed and we understand that was even worse police uh, cop job of the cop that killed floyd but still i don't see where is the evidence for the racial motivation and when I see people saying like oh it's clearly racism just because the the cop is white and the victim is black I still step hold myself back to it no I don't see that because I did not hear him saying like I'm gonna kill him because he's black I did not hear him hear him saying you know I'm gonna kill this fucking n-word because you cannot even say, and and in, in the case in Brazil, there was like, a, not even the color to point out, but for me, the people that see the color point as racism, those are actually the races that are putting the, the filter, that are looking, that have this expectation to find something that fits the narrative, and uh, in Brazil, when it happened, I just point out, guys, don't look like it's color-related or even racist, and then just to point out that I was like already point uh, called out as or accused attacked as a racist and white supremacist, and I was like have to explain that I'm not even white. I'm clearly not white, so I don't see the point. And uh, I I've seen I follow uh, Gavin, for example, McGuinness, and I love all his stuff, his material, and. Uh, I love how people actually use, and I've seen you talking in one of your interviews with, I think, Unsafe Space, uh, about how this other side want to, use, want to call you racist, even to have a wife that is not white. It's like, oh, no, that is a fetish. Is um, So right. it is uh, yellow fever is a type of racism. <laughs> Yeah,
1: that's why we you know we talked to Scott Adams and hoaxed and why I understand I think maybe these issues better than most is everybody has kind of a filter of reality, right? Whether we know it or not, or whether we're conscious of it or not, we all have a filter of reality. And just like a pair of glasses. And if you put on a pair of glasses and you believe that America's inherently racist and the police are inherently racist, then you see a white police officer and a black man being held down, and you think racially motivated killing. The flip side to that is there was an Asian American by the white officer, and somehow we just filter that out of the conversation. And then, of course, the flip side too is when there's crimes committed against white people by blacks, and you say, well, that was a hate crime. They'll say, no, it wasn't a hate crime, or you have to prove it's a hate crime. You have to provide more to make your case. And in, in many times they won't even allow you to make your case. There was, for example, uh, a Chicago disabled a white teenager was kidnapped by a number of African-Americans. They were saying, you voted for Trump. They were using racially motivated language. And the media didn't cover that as a hate crime, even though the evidence was there for that being a hate crime. And that's all due to, in some cases, a filter of reality that people have and don't know And in other cases, it is willful dishonesty and sussing out which is which is always the challenge.
0: So a little bit more on the attacks, just to clear up the beginning and everybody that uh, just like in, I think it was the same interview, the safe space that there was a girl and she mentioned that uh, she used to believe completely wrong things about you just from the narrative of the left, that she was left, and then she had this idea, this straw man of you, and then she asked you, uh, I actually found the same way in the Wikipedia that you have been characterized as an outright right in the same idea of the involvement in politics, and uh, but you don't describe yourself as such. Uh, so where uh, have you changed your mind about it where do you fall into the political compass <laughs> or where would you
1: yeah the the pol- there's no political compass is accurate now in america because i'm pro regulating big corporations it used to be that if you're right wing you you let corporations do whatever they want to do and then it was a left wing position to fight for against monopolies but I'm against monopolies. So is that right-wing or is it left-wing? Well, now the left is aligned with big corporate donors and big corporate interests, and Democrats have become a party of the rich. So I'm, I'm against that. So is that right or left? And that's why their, their labels are breaking down. They, they don't have a... This is, again goes back to your filter that we all have, is if your filter of reality is that everything's right or left, which is the media, you have to throw me somewhere. And if you don't like me, you're going to say far right because that's a very scary label and it makes people afraid. Although what is tending to happen is that the label no longer has a meaning because you're like, oh, far right. Cernovich is far right. Well, I guess far right isn't really that extreme anymore. And the media, they have run out of labels to use on people because they – they, and, that, and that's their own fault. It's because they have to characterize people. If you're being an honest characterization of me, Hoaxed is a movie that was two weeks in a row, top 10 independent best-selling film. That's, for a filmmaker, an astonishing achievement. They won't call me a filmmaker, though. They have to to cast me in these ideological terms. They can't say, Mike Cernovich, comma, filmmaker and author, even though my book, Guerrilla Mindset, international bestseller, sold hundreds of thousands of copies, been read all over the world. I was recognized when I was um I lived abroad in 2015. Ho Chi Minh, I lived in Vietnam. People in, in Vietnam would come up, oh, are you Mike Cernovich? This is before any political thing. And they knew me, they knew me from my books and my other work. But but if you if you don't if you just say Mike Cernovich comma author and filmmaker, that doesn't make me look like an evil character who you should disregard. And that's why they throw that line in there. Michael Malz talks about that in his book, The New Writers, they throw that little parenthetical in there to tell the reader, don't trust whatever this person is about to say. He is a bad man. Where if they were honest, they would just say, Mike Cernovich, comma, author and filmmaker. But they won't do that. They have to apply some kind of ideological label. And because of that, their own label's values are being twisted and devalued.
0: Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's a type of... Uh of censorship it's the other way of cancelling is to demonize the, the other side so when you just people will not listen to them anymore just like they are bad it's easy to put an adjective a negative adjective and and that is definitely uh something when you when you see that is not a honest journalist when there is a narrative involved when they start using a lot of adjectives trying to already give you some meaning or some pass some message about that person instead of just let you hear it, this person. And I, I usually, I don't consume mainstream media. I only watch YouTube and I try to avoid the people commentating. I, every time there is something very controversial, the, oh, Trump said something. Okay, go to the video of Trump saying the thing instead of people saying, Oh, Trump said this because everybody is paraphrasing other people and straw manning actually the other side men when they disagree. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And that's Sorry. why
1: people and that's why the media went from the, the evolution of cancel culture went from hit pieces to getting you no know, platformed because they found out when they write hit pieces on a person, that person becomes more popular because people can look into themselves what the people believe. And then what they do now is then they go cry to social media companies. That person needs to get banned. That's the ultimate control over the narrative is getting people that you write about banned. That way they don't have any power to write back. So let's say, for example, you, you see my name mentioned in an article and you're like, oh, I wonder who that is. And you Google me and you go to my Wikipedia and you're like, wow, this sounds like a you know, Charles Manson's son-in-law or something, you know, this sounds like an evil, evil person. And then you're like, well, but I'll go to his website and you go to the website and you're like scrolling, 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 where, where's the stuff. Okay. I've read a hundred tweets. I've read a thousand tweets. I've, I've listened to his pod. Where, where's his evil stuff that he's doing. And then you actually can a percentage of those people become converted because you're like, well, I did my research what I read about him was BS, but in in watching his stuff, I ended up liking him. That's why they want you to not be able to respond. Then they just have complete and total control over public perception of you.
0: That's totally true. I have encountered a lot of people that I admire, follow, and found on that way. On like someone saying like, this is ridiculous. This is, uh, you know, I'm mad about this or bragging about something. And I go check and I find the page and I was like, well, wow, I kind of like, I guess I'm bad like this person. Right. <laughs> and start following. <laughs> uh, and, but it is the fear, it, and it is anti-free speech because they cannot battle ideas. Because in the idea of a free free market of ideas and free speech, it would be like, let all these speeches have equal uh, voice and people will push uh, up upvote. And the bad, the good ideas and the bad ideas are going to be, uh, will be not popular. Uh, But instead, now it is unpopular to have different ideas. It is a little bit what I talk to a lot of people on the multiculturalism, diversity of people. And what about the diversity of ideas? Oh, no, you're racist. Well, wow, I thought everybody was allowed to talk, everybody, all ideas were the same value, all the voice could be, you know, We free speech is everything you can say, but not inciting violence. And, and the hate speech conversation or this frame, this political frame and to try to ban people is to try to help really uh, censor in that way, like use politics to censor people. and. I don't know. It's it's sad and silly that we have gone so recently through dictatorship and censorship and realize, yeah, it's bad. Let's not censor people, and then comes all over back the discussion on talking about online conversation or virtual uh, environment, and say, no, we had this conversation. It's the same way. Just let people talk. The good ideas are going to be selected. You no, know, they're going. We're going to sort in between and unhappily they are just too afraid to talk because they don't have arguments
1: right and, and but just to show that the other side of the argument um, the, there, there is there is a side other side to the argument the argument is you know Charlottesville these people you know some somebody gets run over because they organized on social media so Charlottesville was probably the most destructive thing that ever could have happened to First Amendment law or First, not the First Amendment law, but free speech is a value or a culture, because it's one thing to say, well, people believe bad ideas, and then we hash it out at the ballot box, and then we respect our elections, and then whatever happens next, we fight the other guy at the elections. But then when you have some nut job run people over, and they're all on social media, and they all organize this event on social media, then it's a problem. Now, the counter to that argument is more people have been killed in the riots, more African-Americans have been clo- killed in the riots than were killed by all police. This, is, this can be fact-checked. More African-Americans have died in the rioting and lo- looting than have been killed by officers this entire year. So then the argument would be for me, hey, if we need to cancel people, then we should ban everyone who supported looting, rioting, and violence, but that doesn't happen. It's a one-way ratchet. Which is why the argument that I just presented, what I call the Charlottesville argument, has intellectual heft to it if it's applied consistently. But because it's not applied consistency, we know that it's not a genuine good faith argument. Yeah. Because, because me, it's I— a, It's I, a fight I, of powers. Yeah, I, I, could accept, um, I could accept a rule that if you incite violence or advocate for violence, you should be banned from social media. I, I don't agree with that necessarily, but I could I could argue for that if it were applied equanimously. And the flip side to that is if you hold an event and one of your guys who shows up kills someone, then your events should not be allowed on social media. That's a rule that if it were applied to everyone, I could say I see the logic in that, but it isn't applied that way. It's applied one way and people die in these left wing things. People die in these lootings and riots and frankly people die at rock concerts. This is um, an issue that gets lost in the shuffle is people die in rock concerts, people die in football games, soccer matches when they you know they're all trying to run towards the fence. Just when you put a lot of people together for any reason something tends to pop off. So does that mean you ban any event where there happens to be some kind of stampede of people? Nobody can talk like this. That's the problem. Nobody other than me has really thought through these issues as a lawyer, legalistically, because as a lawyer, the legalistically means you think of a generally applicable rule, knowable in advance. There's what you learn about when you study the Constitution and law school, as I have and written about the Constitution as I have is the fundamental tenets of due process, clearly established rule, knowable in advance. So you know, for example, you would say the rule is: if you hold a political event and someone gets killed, you're banned from social media. If you articulate, regardless of politics, if you articulate that rule, you know what people do. Well, I, I'm going to keep the peace then. I'm because that because me personally, I know that because I'm such a high target, I hold major events. The only violence happens when a attacks someone else because in my event. I have people, veterans of every kind of military operation out there roaming around, hanging out. Anybody acts the fool at one of my events, they, they know that that's not going to be tolerated because I, I know that I'm a target and I know that anything bad that happens is going to reflect on me. So that, that's, but even though there's not a written rule, as a lawyer, I can ascertain what the rules are unwritten. That could be a rule. And then you would have due process and then it would apply to everyone. Oh, you had a you had an event and somebody died and you're your antifa. Oh, well, we're we're not responsible for what happens. Well, then why would people be responsible for what happened in Charlottesville, right? You ha- you have to be able to draw these distinctions, and it isn't. It is it's just strictly, strictly we live in the Nietzschean will to power age where there. one side so wants to amass around. as much power as it can and crush any dissenting voices.
0: Yeah. It's a fight of power and is full of what you said, double standards, because they don't, they don't have principles. For example, what you mentioned about the, the riots, it, it is very unprincipled and very hypocritical to say that they're going to harm other innocent people or destroy other people's properties because one innocent person died, was murdered. And uh, yeah, I I have stood against this irrational tribalist idea, because I think it, when it turns to the racial issue, it, it segregates people, it splits society, and, and it causes, like, what do, you, what do we see as what would be like a, a modern civil war is what we're goes well,
1: through. Well, yeah, well, people in the U.S. don't really understand. Have you ever... Um... Have you ever read the the book, The Accountant's Story, by Pablo Escobar's brother, who was also his accountant?
0: No, I don't
1: think so. You should read it. It's one of the best books I ever read. And as I'm reading it, you know, I I took for granted. He said there, you know, because Pablo would get blamed for violence. And he said, but Colombia had these civil wars and these violence all the time anyway. So they would, you know, it isn't the are excusing Pablo Escobar, which we're not. But what I was struck by when I was reading the book is how... In the United States, we take it for granted that it's not the Sandinistas and some engaged in some kind of guerrilla warfare against the government, and that there isn't this violent regime change, and that tens of thousands of people aren't being killed every year by opposing forces. We just take it for granted. Whereas in um, in in the case of Pablo Escobar, violence was just the norm, political violence uh, in terms of assassinations of political enemies, just the norm. And we take that for granted. And now we're heading towards that direction, where it'll just be gang fights on either side. And then that will lead to totalitarianism. That will lead to fascism. Because once the government, the people fundamentally what they want to be, especially in in, in America, They want to be able to go to work, have a family. People in America want to work, almost for the most part. That's why people lost their minds in the lockdown. People want to be able to work. They want to be able to take care of the family. They want to have some kind of upper mobility. They want their children to be able to have a better life. And we take this for granted, by the way. In the rest of the world, you don't assume that your children will have a better life. I've lived all over the world. You don't assume when you have a child in Cambodia or Vietnam, although that's changing certainly in Vietnam, You don't just assume my kids will live a better life than me, right? And the U.S. has always been the assumption. And if you have strife and unrest and political violence leading to assassinations here and there, that is gone. We'll have favelas. We'll have all the problems that a lot of other countries have if we don't fix it now and address it now.
0: Yeah, I think the most important thing you brought up is the comparison of these uh, governments, and to talk about uh, the the individual, this 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 force, this this fight of force in between what is the government and people that, for some reason, in the last dec- decades or in, in the last decades of the past century. We were taught that there was a very leftist agenda in the schools that actually made people believe that it's the individual versus the government or the collective uh, community, the people against the government, and that somehow that they are opposite and that capitalism is something bad. You know, so we, we, we had definitions. Uh, The definitions did not change, but the meaning and the feelings that were input in the education were negative to the structure that we have that actually made us successful. So I think there is this kind of indoctrination, a political indoctrination, a kind of a brainwash that is very collectivist in the same way as other things like racial groups, religious groups, all the things that make people feel empowered by the group justification. Like for the greater good, they will infringe and transgress the individual rights, what is definitely not what the government is made for. I think the government is made ultimately... You know, like of course, for the community to look up to everybody and each individual when there is to have any problem and you need to report to someone and not your neighbor is necessarily is the one to have to take care. So we wanted to give this responsibility, but ultimately the responsibility was to take care of the each individual's rights. But for some reason, right now we use the government as oh, the majority can do whatever, and for the greater good, we're going to take each individual's rights away or transgress them. And I think it's an it's a important conversation. Well, say. okay, it, it is. Because it it, is. what you mentioned about the political compass that I thought was uh, something we should also talk a bit more is that it's not as people simplify as left and right, and that is the problem. Because you can't be left and right, or right and be authoritarian and i think for people that are more centrist as like me and libertarians that look more for the individual rights and freedom uh it's very far from what we want it would be like those two people those left and right authoritarians are up there on the compass and i would be down here it's still very centered more to the right like i mentioned i do believe in individual rights and property and uh, but libertarian not anarchist so the, the the field is much more complex than what people simplify left right
1: well there's yeah so there's a, there's a number of uh, responses to that one is that i'm a little bit older read a few you know books here and there study this kind of violence for a long time and we had anarchist bombings early in america famous lawyer clarence darrow Um, defending Sacco and Vanzetti in a a pretty infamous case that you learn in American history. We had uh, the the government use its power of the majority to draft people to fight in wars they didn't want. For example, the Vietnam War. I remember I had a poignant moment when I was in Vietnam exploring the caves and I'm walking and you just can't even fit in there. You know, we're just body structure just won't even fit. We're not even, you know, the bone structure doesn't work. And I thought, imagine you're an 18 year old high school football player you graduate and you're just like, all right. Two months later, you're in Vietnam, holding a gun, running through these jungles for war that you don't believe in. Um, at the time, blacks were denied civil rights, which is why Muhammad Ali would would not consent to being drafted, which I thought was a just and moral position. So there, there's always been authoritarianism, but there's authority. It's, it's innate to our human DNA. Authoritarianism. One of my favorite books is The Lucifer Principle by Howard Bloom where he talks about how we can't get away from evil because evil and authoritarianism is in its own way a driving force. And here's what I mean. Steve Jobs was an authoritarian. You could not – there was a, a site in America called Steve Jobs is an Asshole, famous blog, because he was. He was a fucking asshole. But that's why he accomplished what he accomplished. He just said, no, look, you're going to get in here. Here's how we're going to do it. This is the way we're going to make it happen, my way or the highway. You have, you have to have that sort of that Schopenhauer will to achieve and spot. if you don't have it, you don't have anything. So the idea, though, is if you're designing government and you accept the inherent evil nature, whether that's because we're fallen from God or whether it's because we're evolved from chimpanzees, whatever, whatever it is, we have it. Then, at least from my perspective, you want to create the government that militates against Human evil, and that's why you want to give the government less power than it than it has. And whereas, so the left is in this position where they want more power for institutions that can commit more acts of violence in an organized way than they ever could on an individual way.
0: Yeah, I think the problem with the left is that they don't want to. It's not that to fight against the status quo to realize that we already grew the government too big over the limit that we should have, you know, there was a limit. We should have stopped the government before. And I was like, no, that is where our individual rights start when we talk about gun controls and other things and abortion. But the worst thing is because these people are actually fighting for the power to do the reparations they believe would be the thing that would be right and not realize that, oh, yeah, history, we are so sorry for what bad happened there and we are making better Naturally, through history, you can see in all the sense humanity is doing better and not necessarily because of author authoritarian measures, but because the evolution of our the nature of us evolving by experiencing and we don't need to destroy history we learn from the bad examples as well but in the same way we don't need to push the pendulum to the other side and try to reparate and fight uh the misogyny that we had in the past you know and the sexism we had in the past with a third wave feminist that will push not for equality but more for equity and not for a the the equality that we have already but for equal results so i think it is deep conversation we're probably not going to be able to go over all the topics well and that's
1: (laughs) where if the predicament the so the predicament now that we're in at least as a country is that the people who want free speech and more freedom are right wing
0: but so you have to balance being just because we are writer from them and then that is the way to oh they're right uh extreme right i've i've heard that even in brazil when they frame as extreme right i was like okay maybe he is righter than what he is as a politician because he is a president and he needs to follow the rules as being a president but it's still like it's just because of his opinion then he is extreme right because of the people looking at him or on the left and in their perspective oh is evil right you know and we lose that nuance and and this touches
1: back to something we said earlier which is that there how do you call somebody who won over 50% of the vote or a high percentage of vote extreme right if half the popular and that's where these compasses break down is Bolsonaro was widely popular in the country this is not somebody who ran for office and won 1% of the bo- vote or 3% or 20% of the vote, you can tell me what exact percentage he won, but it was quite high. So you, mm. how do you call him extreme right when there has to be a polarity? And if there's a polarity by definition, right versus left, then you're saying, well, somebody who won half of the vote is an extremist. That simply doesn't make sense. And that is also too white Westerners and their own racism and their own colonialism, thinking the idea that I could just say, oh, Bolsonaro is far right. As a white Westerner who doesn't speak Portuguese, most of these white liberals probably think they speak Spanish. They don't even know the language is Portuguese, right? They just don't know anything. Oh, he's, I read it somewhere. He's a far right wing lunatic. And you're like, okay, what language do they speak in Brazil? Spanish. It's like, no, they speak Portuguese, right? You don't even know that. So that that's is right. that is too the the racism that we have in the left, uh in, in America, the idea that you just know what's happening in Brazil better than the Brazilians, and that you can ascertain the political orthodoxy of their highly popular elected leader is is frankly is absurd and racist.
0: Yeah, that's true. And um, we, uh, I, I would try to cut here now because you said 45 minutes and I really want to talk at least a little bit about... No, Europe. no, we can
1: keep going. I'm just here with my cigar. So we can keep <laughs> oh,
0: that's nice. Thank you. Because I really want to talk about the gorilla mindset. But it is uh, important to point out that not necessarily mainstream media, but it happened to be in United States as well in Brazil that Trump and Bolsonaro are seen as right wing just because they are right from the mainstream media and that is what actually projects uh uh that not not project but yeah it projects for us what are their real uh opinions or their political compass we can put them on the left because they keep calling him right and say so oh so you don't believe those things and you want to actually push in the other side and the worst thing you are actually authoritarian on that side <laughs> you actually want to tell people how to do in your way and not just not do uh, and i think i have uh, talked more recently a lot about politics because i tend to be more libertarian in that way that i would just say we already gave too much go- government uh too much power to the government and we should retract a lot of that maybe that would be the solution for example for brazil that we suffer so much corruption because you have huge government with almost 30 ministries and with like what what is the government really giving to people to have so much politicians employed and spending so much money on that
1: well there's that's the issue there's no consistent theory of government and that you know that that's the problem again on my side because you know the left this the left that you know my side loves to you know complain about you know complain about them and a lot of people do and I'm not knocking that because I' certainly, you know do my share, but only, but I have a consistent theory of government, and it's incumbent upon people who just say, "Well, the left is doing this to to articulate well what's your what's your theory of government? The idea that, for example, if you're going to have a government, the reason you have a government is to do things that you can't do individually or even collectively at scale. So, for example, the interstate highway system or national defense. Or, you know, pandemic response, which every government, state, local, federal failed, which shows, again, that we don't even have a coherent theory of government, which would be to say you can't fight a pandemic at at an atomized level or even at a city level or even maybe at a state level. Maybe it's got to be international. So why then is it if we have a pandemic, even if some people think it was overblown, even if they thought it was overblown? the response was a joke. Oh, this is going to shut down for a couple of days. That that might shut down. I don't know what this, that, or the other thing, because nobody realizes, no, this is literally, this is literally what government should do. So government should be doing much less of other things and much more of, you know, example I use kind of uh, nerdy is asteroid defense. The If you – there's nothing you and I and all of our friends could do to to stop an asteroid if it were about to hit hit America. We ought to have a $100 billion a year department to study things like asteroids. What happens if an asteroid is about to hit? Right? We don't. It's maybe one or two guys in some lab somewhere monitoring the situation. But if you don't actually think about why government exists and why we should have government in the first place, then it wouldn't even – you would laugh. you go, asteroid, what a – Cernovich is – crazy. This guy's a, you know, at us. Like, no, but I have an actual coherent theory on government. And because of that, I'm much more worried about pandemics. I'm much more worried about asteroids. I'm much more worried about things that you cannot do at the private level, even with Elon Musk, for example, in SpaceX. He did that with NASA. So if we need space exploration, yes, there is a there is room for private uh, partnerships. But that's why we have NASA, because it's just not something. That Steve Jobs or someone could have accomplished because you're not going to get money, you know. You know, because there's no money in that. Like, oh, we we went to. I
0: don't um, totally see that. Mars,
1: yeah.
0: I think a little bit. Uh, I'm kind of like a game nerd in that way. That uh, like I have to point it out. Uh, Death Stranding from Hideo Kojima. It's like it brings a lot on that idea of what you're talking about because, like, yeah, in the private level, we know people are able to do things and get together. And nowadays, with all these kickstarters and other things, it's even easier to accomplish stuff. But there is another level of things that are so grandiose that we do need to do in the public level. And definitely it is. Uh, just this morning, I was talking to my husband about this, about the space station, because and you mentioned Elon Musk and SpaceX just got to to the space station. And he was actually telling me, like, did you know China was banned from the space station? And I was like, no, I don't know why. And they're like, you're all just curious. I was like, oh, OK, I will search about this. After. So, yeah, there is this level of, of so much money. It's so big of a, a structure and we need to involve everybody and put the government. But we need to retract the government of taking care of people's lives in the personal level. And that is what we try to retract when you talk about being more libertarians.
1: Right. So you, I believe, <clears throat> excuse me. I, I, the way when people ask, that's why the political compass again breaks down. Is I believe that government should be doing much less than it does in terms of hyperregulation of life, and more of what it's not doing, which is what do we do if there's an asteroid? How do we get? How do we get to Mars and beyond? How do we deal with the pandemic that's truly um, an international incident? They should be doing more of that. But instead, what happens is that, before, and, and there's a number of things. Peter Thiel talks about this in Zero to One, which is, and I think it's changed a little bit since the book came out because of Elon, a singular force of nature. But when, when you would in, say, the 1950s say, we're going to go to the moon, the 1960s, people are like, fuck, yeah, we're going to go to the moon, right? If you say today, we're going to go to Mars What's wrong with this guy? He's fucking crazy. You know, electric cars is fucking stupid. You know, can't believe it. You, you're dismissed as a crank if you're like remotely remotely visionary. And now everything is getting, um, it's like we're, we're, there's a space odyssey, the 20,001 uh, space odyssey, where in the beginning it's the chimpanzees hitting each other with sticks, right? And then you're flying to the moon. We're like doing that in reverse. Instead of flying into the moon, we're picking up sticks again and hitting each other. Like we're all, you know, crazy.
0: Really good. Totally. Yeah. And, and it is, it's true. And, uh, I think it's a lot of the conversation on political agenda, not political, but cultural transformation of political, uh, acts, uh, in Brazil, we had this, uh, Recent change, uh, I remember when I was a kid, and I'm just 35, <laughs> and and I remember we were like, okay, Brazilians, when talking about going out, talking to foreigners, we were kind of like, yeah, we're third world country, you know, kind of a little shame that we were like a, uh, a dev- in-development country. And, but, well, poor, Brazilians are poor, but at least we are hard workers, you know, we're Proud of something, we had some identity, some national identity, with the populism uh, with uh, with the populism that the Labour Party brought, uh, and gave money to people and helped people and like very authoritarian. On the, I'll put a fence here. If you want to cross the street. I tell you that it's dangerous, but if you cross, I will put a fence and then I'll put an extra fence, a taller fence. And they would try to go into measure that. I was at some point working uh, as a doctor in emergency room and ambulance on the roads. And I was like, why are you spending so much public money to try to take care of people so bad and so far? You know, Try to almost avoid, like, let's arrest that guy that wants to kill himself, Do not let him kill himself. I was like what is the individual freedom in this type of society? You know, I start to philosophize and think a lot about this. It's like, should we go that far? Should the government go that far to avoid people to take risks? And that is actually something I talked a lot about in corona times and lockdown. Because I think it should be... Uh, yeah, we are a community working with... Like, uh, WHO saying things, recommendations, and the government passing it to people and and being prepared for the worst if it happens, but not setting up decrees, martial laws, enforcing people, demanding people of wearing masks under under the risk of being punished by well, sure, signing, but- by, by jail. You know, there is a way that I, I think the law works, that it has been uh, not followed. Those principles has not have not been followed.
1: Sure, and what, and what you're touching on is uh, philosophical tradition, you know, communitarianism. So people say, what's your theory of government and, that allows for risk-taking and does have some kind of collective response? Then the answer that some people have thought through is the metaphor is a low but strong safety net. And, but, and we have that in America, which is the idea is, in America, you're not gonna be involuntarily homeless for a very long time. You might not have a you know a nice house, but you're not gonna be living in a dump. So like again, I was watching this special on Pablo Escobar yesterday. That that's what reminded me of the book, The Accountant Story, was uh, uh, Pablo found out that there was people living in a dump and the government of Colombia was actually going to destroy the dump that the people were living on. So he went there and he just built them all houses. And they weren't big houses, but I mean, they were houses, right? That they didn't have, and and that was, of course, why Escobar uh, became such a uh, hero to the to the common people, is because that's what the government should be doing, not these big mansions, not these big grift projects for the Boeing Corporation and the the bailing out of Wall Street. Is you know, everybody should have. A low but strong safety net, and then that's how people do take risks because you realize, you know, like, cause, cause here's the reality for America that that most people, unless you've lived in America, can't appreciate. But even people in America don't appreciate this. I've had young men, were coming up to me, oh, blah blah blah, crybabies, right? And and I'm I'm like, why don't you just start a business? And if the business doesn't work, do you have kids? No. Do you have a wife? No. Then you plead bankruptcy. Well, if I pled bankruptcy, my life would be over. No, it wouldn't be. In the United States of America, we have very, very liberal bankruptcy laws. And within three years, your credit is fully restored. So we, we've, we've taken an entire generation of people, young people. And in America, it works for women now, too. If women are like, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life, go start a business. Go all in. If it fails, you know, you're fine. And that's what, and that's what people, if I, they go, I won't be fine. It'll be a failure. And that's the problem people have with their minds in this culture of hopelessness and despair that is taught to young people. Now, the culture of victimization is if you, if I were instructing people, we would have a, a nation of innovation and risk taking and people understanding, yeah, okay, so I might be 30 years old starting over. Whoop dee doo, I'll get a nine to five. You know, it might not be the best, but I'll have something. But instead, people are taught you're a victim blame someone else, fight with them. But then meanwhile, you're not going to raise your station in life. You're just going to have chaos. That's, again, what is happening in America.
0: In Brazil, it's even worse because the government, uh, it's very protectionist in all the sense. So people do not have that much money and don't have a way to get the good source for for the... Fair price in the uh, I just uh, talked to a photographer two days ago and he was talking about how it's difficult to start a business as a photographer. Because you have all these imported good cameras that arrive in Brazil for double price because they import everything with hundred percent taxation. You know, right, so and that's yes, good, we have government sometimes watch. just stopping people from progressing in many levels as well, not just helping. And I'm kind of like very skeptic about those type of policies that will grant people, uh, you know, or guarantee people's their safety economically, because this is the type of economic political system that is going to implode. It it doesn't sustain itself, and I don't know. It happens so much everywhere, and I think we are dealing with that uh, not uh, realistic.
1: Right. And that's what people that and that's why people come to America from these kind of nations, because in America, if you want to be a photographer, um, you just go buy a camera and you start taking clients. You don't need a business license. You don't need, you know, all of these other regulatory barriers. Whereas when I was in um, when I lived in Paris for a while, people you just you can't just start a business. You can't just say, oh, OK, I'm going to, you know, do X. No, 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 no. There's a thousand different regulatory things. And then you would see that creep in America where it became a meme. Kids would try to start a lemonade stand. And then because of this creep of victimization, and over-regulation, police would then come in and say, well, do you ha- you need a permit to, to sell lemonade and health department. And you're thinking these are children, right? But that's left wing. That's how it is in most of the rest of the world is you can't just start a lemonade stand. You can't just start a business. You can't just order uh, a camera and then go start taking pictures and list it on a website and try to take on... It just doesn't work that way. And that's why all these other nations are so impoverished and why America wasn't impoverished, but why we're we're heading that way, because that's what we're teaching a whole entire generation of people is that there's all these barriers.
0: I think it's just interesting that people are very susceptible to more regulations. And I think that is the evil of all, you know, and how we grow a uh, more bigger government in all ways. Like, uh, here in Canada, it's much worse than Brazil. In Brazil, you actually can uh, buy a camera and just open a business. Probably photographer, uh, I don't know. They are very organized in unions. And uh, The left, what I hear, close to whatever they think it's from my sister that she's very into like all this narrative so she's like she has like the, all that um uh, mindset uh, taken from what people told her uh like bolsonaro is racist is homophobic is uh misogynist and i when i asked like where word the evidence oh i heard someone saying there is not even an analysis of the defect. But uh, I want to go through Gorilla Mindset now, just because we were talking so much about mindset and about uh, thoughts and filters that I think it's very much into the book. What I actually would like to ask you is a little personal question, but it's something that I've seen you talking on your seminars about the book, is uh, if you still an introverted yourself, <laughs> because I saw you have uh You you said that you were introverted, but I really enjoyed the idea of talking about like getting out of your comfort zone to improve and talk a little bit about that. Sure.
1: So uh, physiologically, I am an introvert. And And by physiologically, I mean that there's a way that introverts process dopamine. Dopamine is a motivation chemical. It's a feel good chemical. And I always like to say that even though we're oppressed because we're the minority, they are, you know, people who are, extroverted have extroverted privilege because the world is created for extroverts oh why are you home by yourself oh why don't you talk why are you anti-social why are you this and i remember as a kid i was treated by my own parents um as if there was something wrong with me because they're like why aren't you down here with the rest of us well because i want to be in my room by myself oh are you suicidal no i'm i'm becoming that way because you people won't leave me alone so there there is an extrovert privilege because i'm an introvert mind processes dopamine differently. So for me, if I'm out in a group of people after an hour, I'm good. I'm that was great. But an extrovert, they they process it differently and they get caught in a different feedback loop and they want more and more and more and they don't want the night to ever end. Now, so it is a physiological characteristic. The flip side though is that I had realized that oh I was using it kind of as a cop out. Well I'm going if I go do this thing this event i'm going to be tired afterwards and everything and there so there's a line between you know you have a physiological thing uh like i couldn't just go squat 500 pounds right now right but that doesn't mean you can't go to the gym and squat sure. more than you could and that's how you bring out your full value as a person and all of your gifts is that you do you do push through your limitations and then you become the best that you can become
0: really nice Pretty much, like, summarized, like gave, like, the, the book in a nutshell.
1: <laughs> so since you're Brazilian, do you like, uh, even though he's a far left-wing uh, nutter, do you like Paulo Coelho?
0: Oh, I have read a okay. bunch of Paulo Coelho. Yeah, because I have been, like, through the path of uh, not have, like, indoctrination from my family, religious indoctrination, but I always had, like... I wasn't I was introverted for a good amount um, in the way that I would not socially just talk to people about things, but I would be socialized like in between people and just listening more what people were talking about. So what's your favorite and, book that he wrote? Oh, I don't think I have any... <laughs> Because, like, I used to like him and uh-huh. the things he talks when I went through this path of accepting myself as an atheist. Uh, as a kid, I was just listening to people in Brazil, very religious, talking about God's existence and, you know, the sure of a creator. Uh, the certainty that everything is so complex that had to have a creator. And I was more stuck in the questions like, okay, where this super complex God to create everything that's complex came from? Because if the premise is that everything needs to be created, he had to be created as well. and And they did not have that answer for me. And I was like, okay, I don't believe there was a more complex being than everything sitting in the middle of nowhere, you know, just got bored and snapped his finger and created everything. So I had this question for a very long time, and I went through different religions. So when I was a spiritist, an spiritist I read a bunch of like spiritualist books, and he is more in that tendency that talks about try, try to give explanations for supernatural feelings and. And things that we have created, they're, they're layers, you know, as I have read so many spiritist books. There are even different theor- uh, hypotheses, I would say, inside their own beliefs. So uh, for me now, it's all woo-woo. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Supernatural I think the- stuff. I don't. Yeah.
1: Okay. I Because I, I I the first book of his I read, because I'd always heard people say, read The Alchemist. And it was like a cliche. So I'm like yeah. I'm not Oh uh, yeah that's you know, a good beautiful <laughs> book. But the first book of his I read was Hippie which was a newer one that came out where he talks about road trips that he was taking and he just writes about love and everything. So I read that book first and then I read The Alchemist and then I read 11 Minutes and he cuz I read 11 Minutes actually got him into some trouble because it's a very um erotic book and a lot of
0: like the fiction more i just yeah i think he's
1: just a beautiful soulful writer who writes about love and even with the alchemist is it's just a, a parable about the fear of running from who you are the fear of chasing your dreams because you can't handle the heartache of not reaching your dreams so if you if you never chase your dreams then you can say, oh, I could have chased them and I never did. But the real heartache is what if you chase your dreams or you chase love, then you can't find it. So I've I became a a late fan of his work, but I like his I like his fictional stuff. I don't
0: Yeah, I like I like actually that that is something I I definitely use in my life as a a way of living because but it was more like him was just one sentence that my mom would summarize the whole book into telling me you will regret to not do something more than doing it because you never would know the result and you would always uh, question yourself what would happen if I had done that thing that I wanted so much and I did not even try and um, it's pretty much what what you said then I I don't know. I think there is a lot of uh, those... (laughs) I used to read a lot of those books with, like, messages that I think is just stretching into a story some simple message. Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) I don't know. I, I, I have not read anything from him recently. And, yeah, I kind of distanced myself of, like, this type of philosophers a bit or even... More nowadays, what I hear a lot of people that is very popular in Brazil, and I know this culturally, I was always very far from the things were popular. I go take a peek, and I usually like think it's very related to obscurantism, it's very poetic in a way that is cheap, (laughs) I don't know. You know, so there is another guy that's very being very popular as a philosopher nowadays in Brazil, and is very all into postmodernism and uh, coexists, uh, very pragmatic, in in some ways that I think uh, I would believe what I, a bit what I know about Jordan Peterson that I would like to explore, not necessarily in the conversation, but. Uh, with him, I would probably explore more what the things we agree than what the things we disagree. Uh, who's, the who's that guy I'm trying to point out? Um, Olavo de Carvalho, I think. Yep, is- yep,
1: yeah, yeah. That's uh, Bolsonaro's a, a big fan of us.
0: <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, uh, I've heard a lot of him. But, yeah, um, uh, for me, it's just like it, it's painful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not kidding, because it's just so full of fallacies of things that I have spent years watching into extensive uh, epistemologic uh, shows that they explore yeah. beliefs and evidence and how do you get to that conclusion. So I can actually take the same path and conclude the same thing. So it's, it's very deep. <laughs> yeah. Um, I,
1: I, you can pronounce it properly for me, but, uh, Olavo de Car- Carvalho. Yeah. Olavo de Carvalho. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, my, and that's the thing, reading habits take a different thing. I was very younger, was more to the hard philosophy. What is like the nature of truth. And then I get a little, and then I was very, not a sentimental person at all. And then as I'm, you know, I'm in my forties now, I, I like to read things about love and connection and the meaning of life and the deeper spiritual meaning of the life. And it, and it changes. So I, th- I thought, there is, oh, well, let's there,
0: there are some books that uh, it's just because I don't read those things for like, bo- like the last books I read related to anything like that were probably seven years ago. I became an atheist, like assumed, came out of the closet and everything, just reading science and more relatable things like that was five years ago. So uh, probably the last book that I still carry some with me, uh, or seven seven years ago, something like that, I read probably something popular in Brazil, too, and that is a priest in Brazil, Padre mm-hmm. Fabio de Melo. Mm-hmm. And this book actually is really good because it talks more about relationship in general. So it's, it doesn't, it's not like religious in that sense, but it talks about relationship. Like, couples or mother and son or parenting and how people sometimes uh, keep other people in relationships like in a negative way and how to deal with this. This is a good one that since you said you like to explore this uh, interpersonal relationship and feelings, it's a pretty good one.
1: Well, I like to read books whenever I would travel because I was initially, um, whenever I travel, I always want to read the book that kind of defines a nation. So when I was in Cambodia, I read a book on the Cambodian genocide, survival in the killing fields. When I was in um, Vietnam, I read a book about the Vietnam war, but from the perspective of the Vietnamese people and what that did to them. And I was initially going to, before coronavirus and everything, the travel restrictions, I was going to go to Brazil and do a, uh, like a short documentary on fake news in Brazil. And also the, the scandal with Qatar you know, bribing the officials and messing up everybody's, you know, soccer, football, as you, you know, we all call it. And then, so then I was, so I was like, oh, who's a Brazilian author that I can read and try to, you know, get in touch with the, the feeling or the zeitgeist of the culture, but then coronavirus hit. So I won't be in Brazil for a while.
0: Hope you go to Brazil, you going to enjoy a lot. <laughs> well, the,
1: you know, the, well, the good news is that uh, Bolsonaro son follows me on Twitter, as do, um, the philosopher i mentioned earlier so yeah the the good news is that when i do make it down to brazil i'll be um, <laughs> i'll be protected i guess so to speak
0: oh no yeah and, and something that is very different from i think the reality from what people expectation of brazil it's i don't know i i try to mention to people when talk online some people uh i play i was like yeah hey have you been in brazil and some people like i don't even have an Like, I don't even want to go, (laughs) you know, afraid of how it is. And I was like, look, it is pretty different from my experience going to Dominican Republic, for example, that I went this last year, that I was actually impressed. And I was like, maybe this is what people think Brazil is like, that is like outside of the resort is ugly and scary, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it is not very oh very yeah gentle. i don't i don't i know. I don't have that perception I remember yeah. I in- so it's not like what brazil is but there are uh, areas it's like a, it's what point. i imagine in europe europe people talk about no go zones yeah there are in the big cities and that's not all the cities so you go in a small city like mine countryside no there's no favela there or not dangerous areas now where you're gonna accidentally enter like a drive in and then people are gonna kidnap you kill you rob you or whatever uh in Sao Paulo Rio yeah and that's what I usually tell people like don't try to be adventurous in Brazil just don't go there and I'm gonna rent a car and get a GPS because that is the the trap you can with a GPS fall into a favela and yeah you that. <laughs> no, there was the same no.
1: thing. Yeah, yeah, but the same thing when I went to South Africa is that um parts of it are just astonishingly beautiful. You wouldn't believe it. But if you're in America, you're like, "Oh my God!" In South Africa, everybody's being murdered every day, and it's like, "No, no, no." Those are the the, the shanty towns, which I think is a not PC word for them, but that's what they're referred to. And but th- but that's what I mean by safe. It's just they're like cultural norms, and the idea is. Yeah, don't go to here, or if you go there, don't go after a certain hour, and then they're taboo topics. So when I was in Thailand, you know, my friend said you can say whatever you want, but don't insult the king of Thailand. And I was like, well, I I would never even think to insult the king of Thailand, but though you know, the, those are the when you go to places, those are the cultural guys. The same thing too is, if you are going to come visit the U.S., like Chicago's not dangerous, but there are a few blocks of Chicago that would absolutely be the end of your life just without question if you went there especially as a certain time and it's like that it's like that of course all around the world so if i went not if but when i go to to brazil i'm going to want to get you know i want i'm going to want to go in the places that maybe you have to be careful and that's where it's it's good to know the right people who can facilitate that
0: definitely yeah for sure yeah and and in, in Rio specifically, uh, as I have been there uh, as a tourist, uh, some favelas that have been pacified in the last government or two governments ago uh, have uh, police standing on the and like the gateway for the like it's just a normal street, but as there is no gate or anything that signalized the start of favela and some more dangerous community, there is usually a car with two policemen already stopping you and say like, are you sure you're going to go there? It's the favela. Because as the third is, I was walking by those places once and they were there just to advise. You. They were like, yeah, no, no, we don't want to go. Right. Like, are you sure? You have someone you know there? you going there? And it's, um, yeah, there are the the minimal uh, cautious roles uh, as you would have in any foreign in a different place whenever you go. Um, for sure, um, uh, in Brazil, uh, I, I'm, I'm excited to hear that you're going to talk to Bolsonaro and make a video, a movie about it. And I would love to see what's going to come out of it because I personally have uh, left Brazil because of the religious prejudice that exists in Brazil as an atheist because when I came out of, the closet, out of the closet five years ago as an atheist, was drastically worse than what I expected. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and with the message, uh, uh, like, with the justification that it's democracy, it's democracy, 86% is Christian, and you have to believe something or you're going to be bashed. And I was like, no, that is definitely not the meaning of democracy. It's like, we still... We're still in a republic that protects the minorities. And well, even in the U.S.,
1: you can't run as an atheist. We've never had an atheist president in the U.S.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you would so. have no chance. <laughs>
1: oh no, no! So yeah, even in the U.S., uh, yeah, you couldn't run as an open atheist. And and there used to be a very—it's not true anymore in the U.S. Very, very strong cultural stigma. Even 20 years ago, when I was in college, to be atheist, it was. Everyone sort of collectively agreed that you should be Christian or at least believe in God. That, that's changed considerably over the past 20 years.
0: Yeah, that is pretty good. And I, I see that actually happen in Brazil as well, uh, because even the number that they try to hold, it is a, a falsely inflated number. I'm into that 86% because my parents baptized me in the church, and it's not that easy to do an apostasy in in Brazil. You have to send a letter with documents, go to church and stuff, and I was like, I'm fine with that. But it is something that is important uh, important politically, because that is how they move laws around beliefs, and not respecting, for example, in the case of Bolsonaro, uh, the secularism of the state and the government that is actually in in its own constitution. So it is a lot of good conversations, mainly when talking about politics, secularism in Brazil. And uh, I think it, it is complicated because Brazil, uh, Bolsonaro himself ran the election on to Brazil over above everybody and God above everything, something like that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Br- Brazil first and yeah, very strong um, Christian point of view and very strong Christian culture. And, and we see that too and that's where in a way people on quote unquote my side in the. US are very dismissive of privilege, but religion adherence to religious beliefs is a form of privilege in that if you're if you're like, oh I'm Catholic and I go to mass, you're just kind of accepted, but if you don't, then you're othered pretty quickly. What do you mean? What's wrong? You know, Then it becomes like a really big problem. So it's assumed that if you're Catholic, everything is just like A-OK. The buildings will be closed on Sunday or things will be organized sort of around your religious beliefs without you even realizing it. Whereas if you're not and then you go against that, you can face some, some problems for sure. So that's where I think people, privilege is such a loaded term now. But there, there, there is a sense of uh, privilege. And if you have certain, if you belong to certain kind of groups, life does just go a little bit smoother for you.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and I think the, the, important, the important points are the prejudice that these people suffer and that keep them, for example, that kept me in the closet for 20 years, trying to fit in some type of religion because you have to believe something how that can be negative to people's lives, personally, individually, and the same way as the politics should not benefit a specific group. Because in the case of Bolsonaro, what he did, for example, is like, I'm going to give this ministry to a very evangelical person. So we're not talking about people with same rights, because he's already saying that he's benefiting one group. And that is very <laughs> anti-constitutional. So it's like it is it is a problem that we need to be able to separate and understand that the atheist person talking about secularism is not talking about burning books or banning religions, but it's talking about keep your religion on your private sector, in your private life, and the public sector will be free from religions. Because one thing I, I like to make the jokes for presidents that keep defending Bolsonaro being so So uh, pledging for the Catholics and the religious uh, vote is when we Brazilians have more uh, Hindus in Brazil and then we get someone in power that will ban barbecue that they love, maybe they will understand. (laughs) Yeah, so... Yeah, thank you very much for this much time. I'm not going to hold you anymore, but it's just so much involved into the, mainly in the gorilla mindset, people sometimes are stuck. I would suggest everybody to go watch your seminars. Not going to explore that much, but it is a lot to talk on uh, how we have this gorilla mindset that we can reset, (laughs) that you can actually reset and how to do it. Uh, Thank you very much for coming. And I'm sorry for holding you for
1: too long. No, no, my pleasure. Thank you again.
0: People, please follow. And um, how, how they can follow you on Twitter? Where are your main platforms and where they can
1: yeah, just follow Cernovich. see everything? Cernovich.com is the best. Um, C-E- C-E-R-N-O-V-I-C-H.com. And then it's at C-E-R-N-O-V-I-C-H at Twitter.
0: Thank you very much. People, thank you for watching and see you next video. See ya.